Hello, Silvano Guy here. Today I'm here with my dear friend, long-time friend, Mario Baldi. Mario, welcome. Thank you, Silvano. It's nice to be here talking to you. Yeah, today we have decided, me and Mario, to chat about forwarding. And is it forwarding, is it routing? When Mario and I started to work together, it was probably 1995, that was already an odd topic. And today we are still talking about that. So there must be something really important about this forwarding, this routing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, forwarding or routing, because we talk about forwarding when we talk about what, uh, what the node, the network node does to advance the packet towards its destination. But part of it is deciding on which interface, on which to which next stop to send that packet. And that's a routing decision. But routing is also what network nodes do with routing protocols, right? And that's also routing decision. So often we use forwarding to talk about this sort of data plane routing, the routing that the node does when the packet gets there and uh, is to be sent towards the destination. The other one, we can call it control plane routing, or in my courses, I usually call it proactive routing, which is what they do with the routing protocol to understand where the destinations are, create a routing table, the then tables that then will drive on the fly routing, the data plane routing, or what we often call forwarding, which is what we want to talk about today, right, Silvano? Before we go there, I think it is also important to notice the difference that we had this day compared to 1995. In 1995, there were much more layer 2 network. Ethernet was at the beginning, but was uh, gaining ground very quickly. And IP was uh, gaining ground, but there was a lot of local forwarding that was done basically at layer 2. Today, most of the forwarding is done at layer 3. And I think it's important to emphasize the difference between the two, because layer 2 forwarding is always done on an exact match on the MAC address. While layer 3 forwarding is much more complex, it's done with longest prefix match, and it implies not only to find the matching entry, but to find the best matching entry. Yeah, that's true. In principle, I mean, one would have to go through all the entries of the table and, and find all those that match and take the best one. But in reality, then that's not how we do it, right? When we want to do longest prefix matching, uh, I mean, and here, for example, we, we use TCAM, right, for longest prefix matching. That's the fastest way to do it, isn't it, Sivan? Yeah, it is. And TCAM are wonderful devices, but unfortunately, not always we can afford them because they are pretty big, they consume a lot of power, they take a lot of silicon real estate. And so, if we really have extreme performance requirement, TCAM are fine. But very often, either if we have very large uh, longest prefix match table or if we don't have such a stringent performance requirement, other structure may be more adequate to do it. And I think it's also important to remember that when we started to work together, all forwarding was done in software. Now all the forwarding is basically done in hardware. And sometimes it's real hardware structure like TCAM, sometimes it's just microcode implementation of algorithm that works some kind of tree to do longest prefix matching. Yeah, while instead the exact match 
is much easier to perform. One can use some sort of a hash table, uh, even in hardware, right, uh, Silvano? They can implement hash tables. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hash table with some form of rash have been proven to be extremely capable of doing layer 2 forwarding, internet forwarding. Yeah, but the problem with layer 2 forwarding is that, it, that uh, which is not about layer 2 or layer 3, but the problem with exact match on forwarding by network address or routing by network address, because then, you know, if we use labels, it's different. But if we do by network address and we do it with exact match, like it's done in layer 2, we cannot scale. Because the advantage of, uh, of using longest prefix matching is that we can have hierarchical addresses, like, like in IP, where we, we have a whole subnet, uh, potentially a pretty large number of hosts, they have the same prefix, so they require only one entry in the routing table. And then we can, we can iterate this and we can have a whole um, autonomous system with one prefix, a whole service provider with one prefix, a whole... Um, big part of the network with one prefix using only one entry in the routing table. With the exact matching, this is not possible. So you need as many entries in the routing table as many hosts you have in the network. And that's why layer 2 solutions like Ethernet cannot scale that much. You cannot build a huge network like that because, because of that. I think it's important to introduce here a bit of terminology. What we call longest prefix match, we also call ternary match, because basically in the table we have three symbols. We have the zero, the one, and the don't care. And the don't care is what basically group together a lot of entry, is really the important, part, the important aspect. While instead, in layer two forwarding, when we do exact match, that match is a binary match. We only have zero or one. So, each entry can, by definition, match only one entry in the hash table, because either there is a match or there is not, because all bits are specified as 0 and 1. While, for example, in longest prefix match, one entry can match multiple, because there are these don't care, so it may match multiple entry, and in that case, we need to take the longest one, the one that has more bits specified, and that gives the name of longest prefix match. And, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, I find sort of interesting is that, as you know, recently I've been, I've been working on P4. And in, in the P4, P4 language basically allows you to, uh, to define the behavior of a packet processor. And one of the ways you define it is you define tables, you define a key to look up the table and a way of uh, performing the lookup. And you have uh, different uh, ways, right, exact, index, longest prefix matching and it's interesting how if you look at it from the p4 point of view it seems like okay it's just about uh, about specifying a different keyword but then the implementation is very different exact match is implemented completely different from a ternary match so longest prefix match and so in p4 it's just using a different keyword when, when the programmer writes the program it doesn't make much of a difference but then the complexity there is moved to the compiler that needs to map that that particular match on some specific hardware in the in the P4 pipeline to execute that particular type of match. And that particular hardware can be very different depending on the type of match. Yeah, and uh, we already discussed TCAM. 
you know, T-camera natural structure, ternary cam, because we do this ternary match, and they have a priority encoder that takes the longest match. But if you don't have TCAM, at the end of the day, all the other algorithms that we have are some sort of tree or try. You know? Basically, there are three structures that you need to work. And you can work them in software. For example, Linux has implementation of tree and try to work routing table in software. Or you can work them in P4. It doesn't really make much more difference. At the end of the day, the concept is the same. The kind of tree or try that you are going to pick up, of course, will depend a bit if you do IPv4 or IPv6. In IPv4, you only have 32-bit of addressing, and the space is very densely populated. All the IPv4 space today is almost populated, so basically all the entering is 32-bit are almost valid. While in the IPv6 space, since the address is much longer, I think uh, the entries are very, very sparsely populated. There are very, very few entries. And so you need to have a tree or a try that is optimized to retrieve information from a very sparse populated tree. And um, so the other fact is that uh, uh, routers need to forward packets, but today routers do usually much more than just forwarding packets. For example, we want routers to evaluate ACLs. So which ultimately might determine whether a packet needs to be dropped or not, but sometimes they even determine where the packet should be uh, forwarded uh, if, if we do policy routing. So often routing and uh, uh, evaluation of rules need to be combined. And one way of doing this is to create flow caches. I don't know that they necessarily need to be combined, but for sure it's very convenient to combine them because by combining them, basically, you do much more work on the first packet, but you do much less work. You do almost no work on subsequent packet. Now, there are flow in which this doesn't make any sense. For example, the DNS, the DHCP, all these auxiliary protocols that just exchange a couple of packets doesn't really make any difference to treat the first packet in a way and the, f and the subsequent packet in any other way. But if you take the classical web traffic, an HTTP or an HTTPS, uh, that, that flow exchanges hundreds or thousands of packets. So paying a bit more on the first packet, but paying a bit less on all the other packets, create a convenience in terms of performance that is extremely valuable. How do you do that? Well, basically, on the first packet, even in software or in P4 or in hardware or in a combination of software and hardware, you do all the match that you want. Uh, being a routing match, a layer 2, a layer 3 match, you can do a layer 4 firewall match, an ACL match, you can do whatever you want. And then you take a decision. And then you put in the cache the description of the packet in terms of this five-tuple classical is signature, basically, completely binary specified, and the action that you need to take on that packet. So the subsequent packet will match that structure in binary, which is extremely effective, and they take the same action. Yeah, and at that point, those complex uh, 
matches, uh, the, the longest prefix matching, but also the ACLs, get translated into an exact match, right? The exact match of the flow identifier. So if the flow identifier, for example, is the five tuple, then you know you take that five tuple and, and you match that to find the flow, the flow cache entry. In a way, the first the first packet is a full full match. The others are simplified. The fastest type of match we know. But you know, of course, with with flow caches, uh, uh, all of this is not coming for free. First of all, as you were already saying, if the flow is short, the cost of uh, setting up the the flow cache uh, doesn't uh, you know that doesn't pay back. Uh, because you don't use it very long. But then you have also to understand when you should remove the flow from the cache, uh, because otherwise your cache is going to grow indefinitely. And, uh, and the, other, the other problem that you have is what if the route changes? What if the control plane routing finds a different way for the destination? If you have said in the, con in the flow cache that the next stop that the packet should be sent to this particular next stop, the packets of that flow, and the route changes. You need to go find all of the flow cache entries that uh, are related to that particular destination and, and, and invalidate them and install new ones when the next packet is going to come. Or, or the same happens if, if, if we are using it also for ACLs, for example, for firewalling, uh, if the rule changes. Uh, you need to go and change the action that you have associated to the flow entries. So, yeah, it's not coming for free, but it can have many advantages depending on what the traffic looks like and how uh, stable routing is. Well, I want to open a parenthesis here. And I think the stability of routing is very crucial. When we started to do this thing, when we started to talk about forwarding and routing in the year 1990, at that point, forwarding and routing were, doing, were done by router. Router were the element that were doing forwarding and routing. The scenario today is significantly different. Today we have routing even on the network interface card, on the NIC. And one says, why do I have routing on the NIC? What sense does it make to have routing on the NIC? NIC is just something that should take a, a packet from the Ethernet and put it on the PCI bus, or take a packet from the PCI bus and put it on the Ethernet. Well, that was the old idea of the NIC. A modern idea of the NIC is that it's this divide, the serve, multiple virtual machines, multiple container, it has a multiple network interface, and therefore you need really to do a forwarding action, you know, and to do a forwarding action it needs basically to run some form of routing. But the difference is that not being the core, being in the edge, that routing is probably much more stable. Is, it doesn't change unless, unless there is a, a significant failure on the network. And by being much more stable, a cache-based approach, like the one that we were discussing before, work much better. I will never use a cache-based approach in the core router of the Internet, because in the core router of the Internet, by definition, route change continuously. Yeah. In fact, you, know, you were talking about uh, the old times of, of routing. In fact, 
for the core router, years ago, Cisco had come up with, with an idea to, to do a similar thing, to, to be able to do an exact match instead of a longest prefix match. They came up with tag switch, right? To put a tag in front of each packet and do the, the forwarding, the routing based on the tag rather than the address inside the packet. And that was tag switching that then became MPLS, multi-protocol label switching, which, you know, became a very popular technology for service provider networks. And, uh, and there, again, the idea is the same. Have an exact match instead of a longest prefix match. Not only, but because they, they have small labels, the labels are short, in, in flow caching, the flow ID is pretty long. In MPLS, the, the flow ID, the, the, the label is like 20 uh, bits, if I remember correctly. So, uh, so it's relatively short. So that makes the exact matching even simpler. But also all of these didn't come for free because in order to use that, one needs to have the whole setup of these labels comes at additional complexity in the control plane, but then a benefit in the data plane when you do uh, the, the routing. I agree, you know, so it's important to clarify here. When you do cache-based forwarding of IP, you basically don't change the IP protocol. You still do it on the basic five fields that are the IP source, the IP destination, the protocol type, and either the UDP or the TCP source port and destination port. When you do something like MPLS, you change the protocol. You need to put additional header where you're going to store this label. And, you know, it's additional complexity because now you need to negotiate this label to have, to have additional header and whatever. But it's also additional simplicity because, because then, as you were saying before, you can look up this label very quickly. And then, you know, you can partition this label and implement a VPN, virtual private network, that in MPLS have been very successful. Yeah, I mean, as usual, right, there are some, uh, uh, some trade-offs. Uh, increased complexity, as you said, also new protocols versus getting some benefits. Yeah, the only aspect I think we haven't covered yet that is in the specialized press now very often is segment routing, you know. Segment routing, I think, is a way to try to control how the routing happens from the source of a packet. And this can be very convenient for several reasons, but it's basically very convenient to do traffic engineering and to decide really which path should carry which kind of traffic. We have seen this uh, getting popular in the enterprise, especially in the financial institution. And there are two major uh, technology for segment routing out there. Do you want to comment on them? Yes. So one, one important application is also service chaining, right? Now that we have all of these uh, appliances through which uh, we want to send traffic also in the context of uh, a network function virtualization 5G, uh, we need to force the traffic to go through those appliances. And doing that with uh, traditional routing is not that simple. We, we also had a post on this. With a, a source routing approach, uh, that's much easier. And uh, yeah, as you were saying, there are two ways of doing it. One is uh, by leveraging the MPLS labels. MPLS allows uh, us to 
apply several labels in front of a packet. And so we can use those labels to make sure that the packet follows um, or hits certain spots in the network. And that again, as you were saying, can be used for traffic engineering or, or, or service chaining. And the other way is uh, um, with uh, a extension header in IPv6 uh, that uh, is, uh, um, um, is designed on purpose for this to, to specify the spots in the network the packet should uh, touch. And those spots are identified by IPv6 addresses. So a sequence of IPv6 addresses that are not necessarily representing a topological position in the network, but the identity of, uh, uh, of one of these segments that need to be traversed by, by packets. So if we can summarize, I think I will summarize it like that. Layer 2 is now 100% Ethernet based. Ethernet forwarding is always binary and is done with a Nash table with some form of rehash. That is the first reality. When you go to layer 3, it is more complex. Layer 3 is always longest prefix match. And longest prefix match is ternary. So ACL, that you can consider layer 4, are also ternary. Ternary can be implemented very efficiently in TCAM, but TCAM consume a lot of power and are very big. Or can be implemented in some form of tree or try. And then you need to basically take a decision are you going to treat the first packet different from the other, or are you going to, to treat all the packet the same? If you're going to treat all the packet the same, you are, you are basically applying longest prefix match on all the packet and you are done, or ternary match on all the packet and you are done. If you treat the first packet differently, you do what is called a cache-based forwarding, in which the first packet install a cache entry and all the other packet use that cache entry. This is the summary if you don't modify the protocol, if you don't put any special header. If you put a special header, then you can have either a VPN like MPLS, or you can control the routing and the forwarding from the source with something like segment routing, that again can be either MPLS-based or IPv6-based. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's all. That's a very good summary, Silvano. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we, yeah, we covered a few interesting things. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was interesting. Uh, don't forget to follow me on my GitHub page blog. It is silvanoguy.github.io. And Mario also has a GitHub page blog. It is uh, blog.baldi.info. Thank you so much, uh, Mario. Next time. Grazie, Silvano. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Ciao, ciao.